Actually, when we look at now, there are different trends. One trend that we face now after COVID-19 is about decarbonization. The second area of the trend is on the digitalization. The third trend that we are seeing nowadays is about redefinition of public transport. We're excited to be at UITP in Barcelona today and interviewing Dr. Khan Yildizgoz, who is a management board member and senior director of membership and global operations at UITP. Great to have you with us today. Thank you, Paul. Thank you. Welcome to Barcelona. For Thank the you. Summit. Yeah, this has been a great summit so far. We've hosted a couple of live events, had a great disruptors breakfast this morning talking about that, and now I get to interview you. So it's going to be great. So I'm lucky to be part of this. There you go. Thank you. So um, tell us a little about yourself and what you do at UITP. Well, I'm uh, working for UITP uh, almost uh, 12 years. Wow. And now I'm in charge of membership and global operations. It basically means operating UITP outside Europe. Okay. So I'm in charge of all UITP offices outside Europe. We have offices in 14 different countries, from Australia to Latin America, from New York to, uh, to, to Singapore. So I'm in charge of giving services, providing services, and, uh, and, and, and working together with our members, uh, different parts of the world, except from uh, Europe, together with our offices in different parts of the world. Okay. And, and what services does UITP offer in those offices? Of course, in, if you look from this perspective, when we look for the mission statement of UITP, what we see is that the first is UITP is providing knowledge. Knowledge. Creating knowledge regarding public transport, producing some studies, reports about public transportation, some standards time to time. And the knowledge creation is very important. And it's a reference body in the world regarding uh, public transport related knowledge. The second point is UITP is a place where the people are networking between each other. It's like today's event, like Trapeze is coming to, uh, to our event, and then uh, many of our members, they are meeting each other uh, with the help of UITP, and then it's a, it's a place for networking. The third pillar of UITP mission statement is about advocacy and promotion of sustainable mobility. That's very important. We work together with different stakeholders all around the world to promote sustainable uh, mobility, to, to support our members to implement different good practices about public transport. And maybe last but not least, we have also the fourth uh, pillar of our mission statement is helping to the sector for capacity building, helping to the sector for the training and capacity building with organizing various uh, training programs all around the world. If I'm not wrong, we are organizing just before COVID uh, every year around 60 different training courses yes. in, in different countries. So, and then this is a real, uh, real help to the sector uh, for this matter. That's great. And um, how many employees does UITP have? So we have around, let's say, uh, 130, if, if I'm not wrong. Uh, and then majority of our employees are based in Brussels, okay. where we have our headquarters. And then, uh, let's say, around 30 of them are located outside Brussels uh, in, in different uh, locations. And that's exactly my team. Yeah. Who are, uh, so located like, in different is that with Jasper in the North America? Jaspel's yes, I work, I'm supporting Jasper as well. That's yeah. great. He's a great guy, by the way. Oh, indeed. Yeah. indeed. Jasper is a very close friend. He knows public transport sector very well. He's enthusiastic, and then he's doing a great job now in, now in North America. Yeah. You are growing very fast in North America, by the way, huh? Yeah, I had him on our uh, TV show, and then I was on his podcast. So, great guy. That's awesome. So you've really got your finger on the pulse of what's happening in the public transportation industry because you've got all these offices around the world and they're giving you information about what's happening and all the transit agencies are members of UITP. So they're feeding in information. So what is happening right now? As we sit here in the middle of 2023, what are some of the top trends you're seeing? 
Good. Actually, when we look at now, there are different trends. One trend that we face now after COVID-19 is about decarbonization. It's about decarbonization. Decarbonization is very important, especially for the electrification of the fleets. Uh, it's for the buses, it's for the taxis that we are seeing. As of today, 83% of the world public transport uh, trips are being happening by buses. So from this perspective, electrification of the buses are important topic or uh, with the zero emission buses. Also for the taxis. Taxis are, are, are very important in the agenda of the, of, the, of the authorities. One taxi is making around 600 kilometers per day, for example, in Dubai. And from this perspective, many of the authorities are paying more attention to, uh, to put them and greening their, their fleets. This is one area. The second area of the trend is on the digitalization. So technology is more and more important today than how it was in the, in the past. We are seeing the strong impact of the technology in terms of improving the operational excellence or improving the customer experience or improving even the regulator's ability to better regulate the public transport or the taxi services in their cities. The third trend that we are seeing nowadays is, is, is about redefinition of public transport. The public transport is no more like how it described, no more like described how it was in the past. In the past, we were more putting like a traditional buses or metros as part of public transport. Now today, we are including into it other shared mobility modes. Uh, so this is the redefinition regarding public transport from this angle. And fourth point, which I could be telling is about resilience. Resilience is an important topic from the perspective of the governance, from the perspective of the, of the, of the funding uh, that we are talk uh, talking, and also from the perspective of the staff. Staff issue is a very important point. Nowadays, we are discussing in, 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 in our committees because uh, all around the world, many public transport agencies, authorities or operators are facing challenge in terms of attracting staff or retaining their existing staff. That's good. Most of the world now has basically declared that the COVID pandemic is over, uh, but we still have lingering effects of it. Tell us some about what you see as some of the impact of COVID and where we're at globally now in responding to that and kind of coming out of that pandemic where we were all in a lockdown and public transportation was the only way to get around, but they only allowed people who were what they called essential workers to ride it. And it really became seen as a backbone of the community that it really is important. Where are we at now? Well, actually, this is a very important point. Actually, that's one of the key points that we are discussing this week at the summit. Uh, from the beginning of the pandemic, UITP launched a COVID observatory where we were following every week the change in the ridership. Yes, I got that data. Thank you so for that. So where yeah. we were following the change in the ridership. And as of today, what we see, the general average is around 90% of how we were before. 90% globally. Yeah. Okay, that's pretty good. This is the average, how we were uh, in comparison to the pre-COVID levels. If you look in details, we see some Latin American cities are behind there are cities in Latin America, they are behind. And we see some networks, let's say in Eurasia, in Asia, even they are performing better than how it was before, during okay. the, uh, before the COVID-19. But there are also the changes in the travel patterns. Not only the numbers, but the travel patterns are changing. Uh, we saw that the weekend rides are coming back more quickly. That's very important. And when we look for the weekdays, we see less and less trips on Mondays and Fridays because they are replaced by work from home practices. Yes. And then we see more trips during the, let's say, Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday because people are choosing to work from office at, this, at these days. And also what's very interesting uh, from our data, from our analysis, we saw that there is bigger, let's say, lose in the passengers in the rail systems in comparison to buses because rail trips are more longer trips 
which are more replaced by work from home practices, but the buses are more short distance trips. So the way that we are traveling is not the same how it was in the past. So how are public transit agencies responding to that? Are they adjusting the service offerings? Of course, that's very important. You know, uh, now when you have the reduction in the ridership level, this has an impact on the funding of the agency. But we should not have the consequence of reduction in the service levels. If we do this, then it will not be good for our cities. So from this perspective, what we see is that even some cities, they are trying to offer more services, increasing their service quality level. And then this is what we are also trying to promote as, as, as UITP, to show the passengers, to show the citizens that public transport is the right mode of choice. One of the changes that I've been seeing is, as you said, uh, the advent of more individualized service, uh, microtransit, um, on-demand services. In America, we call, you know, we have paratransit is what we call, which is service for people with disabilities. But that's being expanded now to be just general microtransit. Places like Kansas City um, started a service called Ride KC Freedom even before the pandemic, where they offered individualized on-demand. You call or you book it and it comes to you almost like an Uber or a taxi cab. Other cities like Dubai uh, have really in, uh, integrated their taxi systems into their overall network. You've written some work on this. Tell us about what your work is that you wrote on it and where do you see the role of taxi cabs going forward with public transportation? You know, sometimes in the conference speeches or in my training courses, I am receiving a question about what could be the key innovations in the buses yes. and public transport. And I tell them that there is need for innovation in terms of the two areas. One is about the fixed routes and other one is about the fixed schedules. We need to innovate on these areas to be able to better meet the demands of the people, requests of the people. So taxis or private transit is coming into the picture exactly on this on this time. So especially now, I see that the role of the taxis for the future will be more and more critical. Why? Because it's normal that people may need some sometimes a trip that they may not do with the public transport. So if we don't offer them a good service like paratransit or the taxis, they may go for using their private cars. So it's very important that we need to have these proper taxi services or paratransit services, other personalized services available for those people that they can do while they are not using or they don't have opportunity to use during the, with the, with the traditional public transportation. Yes. Ahmad Barozian, who is the head of the RTA in Dubai, a friend of mine, told me when I was there last year that, um, you know, it's very hot in Dubai. And he said, you know, people don't even want to walk 50 meters to a bus stop because it's roasting outside. And so getting, uh, you know, Kareem or, or Uber and a taxi cab from the point of their home, kind of journey planning. Uh, so they walk out their door, they get in a cab, and then they take a ride to the train station or the, or the bus hub is that what they call first and last mile solution. Do you see that as well? Certainly, Paul. I mean, uh, this is very important, especially with the effect of the climate or the culture. There's a culture of the privacy as well that has an impact on this one. And then when I look, for example, city of Dubai, it's one of the best taxi systems in the world. Absolutely. That's, that's, that, is, that is for sure. And then this is not only from the user's experience. This is also from the statistics perspective. If I look at the data, for example, one taxi cab is making around 650 kilometers per day in Dubai, which is a very good uh, figure. And then 60-65% of it is with the client. So they are not empty. So 60-65% of utilization for the taxi vehicles are achieved there. That is thanks to the very good use of technology. Yes. That's thanks to the very good use of technology in combination with the good governance. So from this angle, uh, what we see the taxis, if they are managed very well, 
we can see that they can be really complementing the mass transit and providing a good sustainable mobility option in our cities. Yeah. You know, when I was there, uh, I was amazed. So they have like 11,500 cabs, at least they did last year in Dubai. And um, he told me that, Ahmad told me that they actually have them integrated into their overall transit network so that they can deploy them from their operations control center. I didn't get to visit that, uh, but they told us about it where they can, you know, say, okay, we got a big event happening at the stadium. Let's send 500 cabs over there. And it actually becomes part of the overall network. I, I used to work in Baltimore City uh, before I was CEO of the transit system. I worked there uh, for yellow transportation. So we had 700 taxi cabs in Baltimore, but I ran all the public bus service and the network uh, outside the city and some inside the city. But we never thought about integrating taxi cabs into our taxi cabs were separate. And then public transit was over here, kind of siloed. But in Dubai, they've merged it together. And like you said, the technology is fun for me because I, I work for Trapeze and inside each cab, there's a mobile data terminal that says Trapeze right on it because it's our deal. So the technology, they're able to see where they're at and then deploy them. I fully agree, actually. It's a good combination as a result of the good combination of good governance and as well the good technology usage. If you ask me why it's a good governance, because the difference of the Dubai's, uh, let's say, operation control center for the taxis and the dispatch center for the taxis is mainly they don't let operators to launch their individual call centers or dispatch centers. Authority has one integrated center, oh, yeah. which is certainly increasing the efficiency. Because sometimes uh, there are different companies, you want to book one taxi, uh, but uh, maybe you call to the company A, which has a car not nearby you, but the company B might have a car available nearby you. So RT's integrated call center, dispatch center, is helping all operators to be able to dispatch the first available taxi car. So from this angle, their time to response to the requests are very low in comparison to the many cities. That is also very important for attracting the passengers because a rider, they don't want to wait long time. That's right. They want to get their trip immediately whenever they want. That is also a way to convince these people not to buy a car, not to invest on a car, their personal cars, that they can be sure that whenever they need, they can have a one ride just available for them. Then these guys may do sometimes a metro trip, bus trip, and this makes a very good coalition of the sustainable mobility in the city against private car usage. Let's talk about autonomous vehicles. Uh, not to make this all about Dubai, but I was so impressed that they're having GM Cruise now mapping out the whole city this year. And, and Ahmad told me that, you know, uh, by the end of 2023, they, they will have autonomous taxi cabs with nobody in it, no concierge driver or safety person. Is that, what do you see? Tell me about, you know, globally, what you see with autonomous vehicles. Of course, actually, in terms of autonomous vehicles, uh, we are seeing the trend in UITP. We have an important project called SHOW uh, regarding autonomous mobility. We are closely monitoring the developments. I was in the exhibition having meetings with some bus suppliers, some, uh, some other companies in the areas of the cars or the taxis. The autonomous uh, mobility was a big discussion because also considering the current challenges that are being faced around the staff and drivers. So that's really important yes. from, uh, from this perspective uh, as well. And then now we see in UITP that deployment of the, let's say, robotaxis. Right. That's how we call yeah. it. Robotaxis yeah. could be even more quicker than how it was uh, planned in the past. We saw this in, in San Francisco. With the cruise, yes. it's, uh, it's, it's reality. You go there and then you ride. It's, uh, it's, you, you can make a commercial ride. It's a very good example. Uh, we are seeing now in Abu Dhabi, there are trials that uh, they are doing. And in Dubai, 
they are very committed because they have an autonomous mobility strategy that is implemented in Dubai with the clear targets to meet by 2030. So there is a clear mandate, if I'm not wrong, that the RTA, uh, RTA got and put as a strategy to achieve by year 2020-30. And of course, we can expect this coming soon. But it's not only technology. It is also needs to be accompanied by the good governance, regulatory framework, uh, in terms of the uh, actions regarding the perception of the people. So it's, it needs a lot of things, but it will be more and more quicker. Yeah, that's good. Well, in closing, what, what final thoughts do you have for us? So, I mean, I think that uh, what we are seeing is that now, last two years we were in the phase going out of uh, COVID impact. And then now, last two days, I met several CEOs, several general managers. And then when I talk with them, I am seeing them more and more optimistic about the future of mobility, the future of public transportation. When we were talking with them one year ago, two years ago, they were not this much optimistic about the future of the sector. So that's a very good, that's a very good point to give us the energy. And then this gave me the energy as well uh, here in, in, in Barcelona. So that could be maybe the message that we are more and more optimistic about the future of our, our sector. And then the sector uh, will be helping to the cities to, to provide uh, citizens a more sustainable life. That's right. I, I, I love that message of uh, the optimistic message. I really think that during the pandemic, it was an inflection point for our industry. Prior to that, most public transit agencies, like Jeremy Yap told me from Singapore, you know, it was all about the peak of the peak, getting people into the big, tall buildings downtown and then back out. And obviously, that took a gut punch during the pandemic because that all stopped. And so transit agencies had a moment to reflect and they said, what are we really about? What's our reason to yatra, our reason to exist? And I think that the conclusion was it continues to be about commuters, but it also is about achieving larger societal aims, such as um, equity and inclusion, such as environmental stewardship. And that's what you're saying, isn't it? The, the role of public transit, I think the reason why we can be so optimistic now is we've changed what we're really about. It's not just about going from A to B anymore. Of course, I mean, uh, we listened from the keynote speech yesterday, keynote speaker, we were talking about the inclusiveness, well-being of the people, uh, so customer experience. So it's not only a trip, from one point to the other. It's about experience, it's about inclusion of the people, it's about increasing accessibility, so certainly. That's great. Well, Khan, thank you so much for being with us today uh, on the podcast. You've shared a great global perspective and an optimistic viewpoint for the future. Thank you, Paul, it was a pleasure. Hi, this is Mike Bismeyer, Kindness Advocate, and this is Mike's Minute, where we talk about leadership, mentorship, and kindness with the hopes it will inspire you to pay it forward. Well, as we come out of the recent celebrations here in North America for both Canada Day and Independence Day, it was another great opportunity to reflect and be grateful and realizing the impact the transit has on our daily functions every single day. As we look across North America in many, if not most cities, it was another opportunity to just realize what we do take for granted and how our public agencies pivot on a daily basis. These agencies provided service bulletins, updates, alerts, all about special services or disruptions to service during community events, celebrations, and ceremonies, and getting us to and from those events so that we could celebrate. Their goal was to notify us and just make it seem like this happened every day, because it is what they do every day. So on behalf of myself and the listeners, a big thank you to all our diligent operators, schedulers, planners, dispatchers, and the many others behind the scenes that keep trends moving the way we take for granted. And what is funny is to pivot and to do a lot of these things, the many of these agencies use technologies that we talk about here that first adopters and leaders have brought to the market. So is my random act of kindness and challenge for you as part of your summer vacation? 
Make an opportunity to ride public transit service at least once, whether it's in your city or a city you're visiting, for the sole purpose of saying thanks. Thanks again. Kindness is cool. This has been Mike. Thanks for sticking with us today on the podcast as we head into our leadership development portion of the program. I'm excited to have with us two good friends of mine who have been involved in really leadership development for years, and I've, I've had the opportunity uh, to work with them in the past, and that's uh, Keith Scott and Rebecca Klein of Tall Small Productions. Thank you both for being with us on the show today. Thank you for having us. Thank you, Paul. Yeah, you guys are amazing. You coach clients internationally on how to communicate in simple and confident style in which words, tone, and body language are aligned. You're a husband and wife duo. You launched this company almost 10 years ago. And uh, it's I don't want to call it Mutt and Jeff because um, a lot of our <laughs> listeners may not know what that is. But one of you is very tall and one of you is very small. And that's why you call your company what you do, right? Absolutely. Yeah. We want to make sure you get those. Measurements down, six foot nine and five foot two, and no, Keith did not play basketball. We make sure we that's so we have to state that before. You have to start that right up front. Little huh? yeah. disclaimer off the top before people get excited. Exactly, that's great. I think I met you, Keith, when you were president, maybe of the Baltimore County Chamber of Commerce or something like that. Our first, yeah, first meetings, and you know, Paul, we just appreciate everything you've done for us throughout the time period. You've been absolutely fantastic. Yeah, I know that we were, uh, when I left the MTA as CEO, I think we had just signed a contract with you all to do some uh, media training, or what, what was it, Keith? We did some media training and also looking at marketing and public speaking training. And so, as you know, on our podcast, we uh, our audience is largest people that work in government and public transportation, which you all have had a lot of experience working in those areas. And we're going to talk about a topic today that we have not yet covered on the podcast this year in our leadership development portion, and that is weak language, filler words. As people are trying to, uh, as I mentioned to you guys when we were did our prep call, I've had so many people come up to me. I was just in a conference last week in Oklahoma where I gave away 100 copies of my new cookbook, and we gave away banana bread from the cookbook and talked to all kinds of people, did some podcasts. So many of them told me how much the podcast means to them. Wow. And uh, many have told me how much it means in their own leadership development. And so a big part of leadership development is how you present yourself, right, Rebecca? It's everything. And a lot of people don't think about it. They think, oh, those filler words don't matter, but they become exit ramps where people tune each other out. Wow. The biggest problem all of what happens is that people get stepped on in life. When you use a lot of weak language, then people don't take them seriously and they decide, oh, look, I can, I can pull one over on this person or I can take advantage of them. And that's how people lose opportunities in their life and in their careers. That's interesting. I just, uh, I'm a big Survivor fan, TV show, you know, Survivor mm-hmm. on CBS. I've watched all 44 seasons. There's my, uh, there's my, my uh, hidden oh, whatever you call it. So you watch it that much. I know. Yeah. It's, uh, well, they do two seasons a year, so it's only been on for 22 years. But, um, you know, at the, uh, at the end, I just watched the after show this last week. And uh, one of the contestants who did not win said just what you just said, that her inability to communicate effectively, she thinks cost her basically the crown. So that's really interesting, isn't it? It happens, you know, all over the place. I mean, what are they? What? Why do we use these words? We use these words because we are terrified of silence. We're scared that somebody else is going to jump in and it achieves the opposite. A lot of times people will make a long audible pause, such as, uh, until they come up with the next word, but then they've lost everybody listening. Also, we have a great fear of judgment. 
we fear that people are going to think that we think too good of ourselves or we are using words to make ourselves puffed up. And the fact is, when we speak up and stand up for ourselves, other people these days take that as an offense. And the fact is, standing up for yourself is something you need to do to protect your own interests. And it's become really sad. We see a lot of women start out their sentences with, I'm sorry, I don't know if this is a good idea. I'm sorry, I'm not prepared. You may not like this. And they tell us that they're confident about what they're going to say next, but they do that to not sound too arrogant. But the intention doesn't match how it's perceived. And then the other people listening to them tune them out. Interesting. Yeah, because they're not confident in kind of what they're good, the way they prefaced it, it sounds like. The words they say may be great afterwards, but if you preface it with a bunch of apologies, that's not good, huh? Then you've lost people by the time you want them to listen. And the fact is, Paul, people, and you knew this too, is that people that can sniff out this weakness, they will take advantage of you. And oh yeah, we started our company because we were concerned about the people that aren't speaking up, but have amazing ideas, and those, ta- those ideas don't get to the table. You wonder what cures out there, cancer or other diseases, might be in people's minds, but they're too afraid that somebody else will say, oh, that will never work. Wow, that's something. So how can we get rid of them? What, what are some hacks to, to eliminate some of these words? And can you give us more examples? Because I think that's what people are trying to tune into. First, more examples. Any word that, let's say you were buying a Super Bowl commercial and you're paying hundreds of thousand dollars for every single word. If you wouldn't pay for it, don't say it. That covers your uh, uh, like, you know, and so, and then some of the more mature fillers. For example, Paul, the word actually, if Rebecca and I came over to your house for dinner, we had a wonderful conversation, and I said, you know, Paul, we actually had a good time. Only I would <laughs> You would probably say, get the heck, right? And most other, most right-minded people would do that. But we see this in business, too. You're sitting in a meeting, you're like, Sally, that was actually a good idea. And what you're really saying is, Sally, you're normally dumb as rocks. And therefore, but we use these words all the time. Honestly is another one, you know? We say honestly, or how about this phrase? No offense, but. And that usually means the next person is ready to offend away. Or there's a classic. This is a double one. As long as we're alive and breathing, we're thinking. And if you have to tell someone, I was just thinking, why would they take you seriously after that? And for our listeners, the easy way to put this together in your mind is, Pretend you were going to a brain surgeon to get brain surgery, and the brain surgeon said, you know, I was just thinking we might want to try this way. Would you feel confident in that face? <laughs> yeah. You'd run on the hospital. Especially if they said, can I be honest with you? This surgery should work. We also want to avoid all of the words that we call the commitment folks, the I hope that should work. That should work. I'll try to. It should possibly work out. As soon as you take away any possibility that it will happen, people aren't going to. If you get your brakes fixed and the mechanic comes out and says, you know, they should work fine, you're not feeling confident, Paul. You want the mechanic to say they will work. And people use those commitment folks to pretty much protect themselves. So those are the kind of filler words or um, weak language you're talking about. So what are some hacks to get rid of them? Well, if you can't come to us, which is the first way, I'm only kidding, what you want to do is listen for other people to say them. If you try to self-police yourself, you're going to say them even more. Instead, listen to everyone around you, turn on the radio, not this podcast, but turn on any kind of TV show and you will hear them. And the more you pick them up and get annoyed by them, they will drop out of your language. If you try to fix this yourself and listen to every word you say, you're going to sound like a freak to everybody you talk to. 
it's very simple. If you get in someone's car, it's really messy. I want to go home and vacuum my car. When you listen to other people utilizing these, you want to think in the back of your head. Don't say this out loud. I don't want to sound like you. And when you do that, that changes the behavior. The secondary thing is substitute silence. Silence is the most powerful weapon you can use in communication. And if we're going the weapon route, The Godfather. If you watch the first 15 minutes of The Godfather movie, the very first one, he is slow. There are no filler words. There's lots of silence. Also, you tend to use fewer filler words when you slow down your language. Take a deep breath one thought per sentence, you're less likely to use them. Wow. That's really good. I actually think that might work. <laughs> <laughs> well, we well can... that's a lack of voter confidence. Just kidding. One of the things we actually talked about just a few minutes ago before we came on the air was body language. So let's switch over to that for just a moment because I believe, I mean, I've read numbers that say that up to 70% of communication is body language. I mean, tell me about you know, why should people be aware of their body language? The wildest thing about body language is that our bodies will communicate our emotions often before we even know them ourselves. And when you open your eyes to it, you can pick up on a lot of energy in the room and figure out what people might be about to say or think before they say it. And it's not to say, oh, his arms are crossed, he's mean, or he's standoffish, but it's putting together that composite of the words, the body language, and the tone. And the fact is, you're always speaking with body language. People come to us all the time saying, I'm not a speaker, I'm not a public speaker. If you ever leave your house and walk outside, you are a public speaker. And trust me, people are watching you at all times. Folks, when they get out of their car in a parking lot or the new business for a meeting, people are watching you. We tell folks, be paranoid, and they're making assumptions and judgments all the time by how you walk into a situation. It's called thin slicing. In the first two to three seconds of meeting anyone, we make a rapid fire set of judgments and they take far longer to unravel. I can tell you guys have read the same book I have by Malcolm Gladwell, Blink, one of the, what I consider one of the three best books I've read in the last decade, along with Freakonomics is another one, but really good. Uh, Let's dive into that a little bit more, just a little bit more on how can we uh, be aware of our body language and what should it be doing? One thing to avoid doing, especially if you're presenting, is anything that will steal the show from you. And a lot of people, when they're nervous, They'll tap an arm, they'll rub their chin, they'll shake a leg. And what we have our clients do is channel that nervousness to a part of the body most people are not watching, your toes. It sounds crazy, but if you open and close your toes, you're less likely to fidget. Another thing, Paul, is when you're meeting with staff, you're having a meeting, or you're in some kind of sales, you name it, pay attention to what people are doing. If people are rubbing their arm, rubbing their neck, rubbing their chin, watch those things. Why? Because when people are doing that, they're self-soothing. And that means there's something that's frustrating them. And a lot of people don't pick up on the signs. They keep talking away. And they don't realize that the person's not comfortable with the conversation. We tell folks, pay attention. If you notice the signs continuing, stop, get a drink of water, use the restroom. Let that person calm down a bit. Because whatever you say, it's just going in one ear and out the other. Because they have an anxiety about some situation. And they're not going to be listening to you. One of the most pronounced ones to watch for is the chin rub. And this one is unique because when someone is rubbing their chin, it lowers the heart rate. And if a person needs to lower their heart rate, it tells you that something is not quite sitting right. 
That's interesting. What does it mean? Maybe it's just a fidget, but the one I hate the most is when people click a pen, uh, mm-hmm. you know, in meetings. I mean, I was just in one recently. I'm like, come on, man. I hate that. Yeah. yeah and people, don't, unfortunately, people either don't realize it or they just want to be rude. But that is a whole nother piece of nervous energy. Like Rebecca said, teaching people to channel that in their toes, but they don't realize that nervous energy and even though it's annoying, it also gives you signs that they're nervous. And if you're dealing with negotiation, that is a great thing to notice about someone. And you know that you can find a way around that solution because they are not 100% there. So we've talked about filler words and weak language and body language. Now let's do one more, which is our tone. Tell me about, you know, what advice do you have on our tone when we talk? Uh, you guys have amazing voices and I think amazing tone. You know, some I'd like to say this, you know, I had a guy that worked for me at MTA, Mark, who I say, you have a great late night FM DJ voice. And he actually yes, was yes. an FM DJ. <laughs> and uh, so tell me about tone. When our moms told us when we were little, watch your tone. It was one of the best pieces of advice we could have later in life because a lot of us leave one meeting. Let's say it didn't go that well. That tone tends to carry into future conversations throughout the day. And it plays out when you're not sure about something. People will have up speak at the end. They'll say, well, I think that's the answer. And right away, you know they have no clue what they're talking about. <laughs> presenting something and you really don't know what you're talking about. At least don't have upspeak. Think it till you make it. Pay attention to that tone because it's really important on how other people are going to resonate with your message. And everybody knows when they have an annoying tone. Don't do it. Do it in the privacy. Do it with friends you know well. But by God, don't do it in a place that's going to have people get frustrated with you and it's going to resonate with them. You also want to make sure to take in enough breath. Sometimes that upspeak or vocal fry will happen. When people forget to breathe, when they're nervous, you tend to not take in enough air. And the other problem is when we speak from our esophagus instead of from our diaphragm, that also creates that upspeak. Wow, Rebecca, just comment a little bit more about that, if you would, on the, um, if you leave a meeting where you get upset. Uh, so, so many executives I know, um, like me, I remember when, at the, when I was a county administrator and when I was uh, um, the CEO of the transit system, I literally went from meeting to meeting to meeting all day long, all day long with like no, no breaks. Uh, so it's very easy to, you know, bring that mood with you into the next meeting. Can you talk a little bit more about that? I mean, that, I've never heard anybody say that before. That's amazing. Thank you, Paul. One thing to do is you always have time. Always take a moment to step into the bathroom. I find looking in the mirror for two seconds will give you that wake-up call and you get to see what what facial feature you're showing and it helps you readjust your tone. Even do two rounds of deep breathing to mentally clear away what that last meeting was. I think you spent more than two seconds. I was thinking about oh, <laughs> You know, I'm all about honesty, Paul. I'm all okay, about yeah. <laughs> One of us talks the bathroom in the morning longer than the other. Yeah. So that's where the conversation will stop because it's not me. <laughs> we were just talking with Anna, our intern from Towson University, and she was saying how at a softball game, you can't take the attitude from school or home onto the field. It's not fair uh. to the players. I thought it was a great analogy mm-hmm. to bring up here. It's the same thing in business. You have got to box that up. And when you go in the next meeting, you're in a whole new space. And people are watching your face. They're watching how you walk up to the meeting. That's very good. Same thing as you get up from a table and walk to the front of the room. People make a decision whether I'm going to listen to you or not. And you know the guys that get up, hike up the pants, do a little grunt, 
act like they don't want to be in there, you don't want to listen to them. It's all just that tone. Yeah. That's great, and that ties in the body language and and all that with that uh, with that comment. Well, that's great, and I like how you said it's not really fair to the no. people in the next meeting to bring. You know, somebody could have gotten you. I, I can recall times. Uh, you know, we did these quarterly budget reviews on the capital budget, and. Um, People will come in and give us updates on, you know, the latest rail project or a ditch they were they were building or rail, and I would get upset because it was taking so long to get all this done, and uh, you know we would sometimes ream them out and, and hold them accountable in my mind, you know, professionally speaking. But I would get, you know, frustrated inside, and it wouldn't be fair to take that to the next meeting because the next person hasn't done anything exactly. uh, to deserve that kind of mood. They deserve kind of a blank slate to start on. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. Exactly. It's very you know, they go from patient to patient to patient. I know. How do they do that? Hard, and then they walk in the room, they have a smile, how can they help you when they just dealt with some tragedy or some emergency? But you have to be able to, in, in today's society, compartmentalize everything. Put it up on the shelf, and at the end of the day, then you pick it back up, whatever you need to process in your mind. You have to build walls in there. You can't let those things phase you at any time. Another trick that we've had clients do is set your phone one minute, two minutes, five minutes, and worry about whatever it is that happened in that last meeting for that time. But then when the clock is done, the countdown's done, you put the mental thought of it away. Wow, that's great. Case Scott and Rebecca Klein from Tall Small Productions, thank you so much for being our guest today and really giving us some very practical advice, on, uh, especially for frontline managers and supervisors about ways they can grow their career by simply drawing a circle, standing inside of it, and paying attention to their own words, their own weak language, their own body language, and their own tone. These are things that are actually in our control, which can help us be seen uh, better. I'll give you each the last word. Perfectly put, Paul. Yeah, that was perfectly put. I mean, you should join Tall Small. Yes. What, what, what? You could be our medium. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Well, I'm super excited that we're gonna that I'm gonna join you for one more episode, which we will air in a couple weeks, and that is gonna be on self-talk and uh, how we sometimes can self-sabotage or how we can help ourselves uh, improve what we can do in our life simply by our own internal self-talk. This is phenomenal stuff. I I haven't heard too many people talk about any of this. Thank you so much for sharing it with our audience here on Transit Unplugged. Thank you you for listening to this week's episode of Transit Unplugged with our special guests, Dr. Con Yildizgoz, Keith Scott, and Rebecca Klein-Scott. Coming up next week, we have the first of two special CEO roundtables recorded live at the UITP Global Summit in Barcelona. Next week features Jerry Mallet, CEO of Transdev, Anjus Charks, Minister of Transport in Hamburg, Germany, Laura Schof, CEO of West Midlands Combined Authority in the UK, and Ruben Leonor, Strategy Director at Renfi in Spain. Here's a little snippet of what you can look forward to. And what always astonished and also flattens me at the same time, the greatest modal shift in the last, I don't know, 30 years did not come from transport policies, but from a mind shift through the pandemic and through new technologies, because it also says, whatever we do, maybe the key of changing to a better world lays somewhere else. If you have a question, comment, or would like to be a guest on the show, feel free to email us at info at transitunplugged.com. Transit Unplugged is brought to you by Medaxo. At Medaxo, we're passionate about moving the world's people. And at Transit Unplugged, we're passionate about telling those stories. So until next week, ride safe and ride happy.